Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Greetings, everyone. Our guest tonight is a longtime personal friend, Dr. David Gruder, organizational and developmental psychologist. So Russell Dennis and I are continuing to be co-hosts. Russ, how are you tonight? Everything's wonderful. I had a wonderful Memorial Day and uh, I'm uh, enjoying the productivity. I'm just enjoying living and it's, uh, it's a beautiful day out here in Colorado. Yeah, it's a beautiful day. It's prettier in Virginia. We're recording this just after Labor Day in 2017. This is uh, the Nonprofit Chat Live, which we do live interviews with thought leaders and broadcast Mm -hmm. on Facebook Live. And you're listening to this, either watching the video or the Nonprofit Exchange. And we have quite a few listeners and we gain every day. So Dr. David Gruder, welcome to our our energy event for those people who are leading charities, social benefit organizations. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me on the show again. It's a pleasure to be with both of you, Hugh and Russell. And so, David, we could pontificate with a whole lot of stuff, but um, and I put some of your your biography uh, on the nonprofitchat.org page, but I also send it out in the email to people. And certainly people, if you go to drgruder.com, it's drgruder. Is it drgruder? Is it not David Gruder? It's drgruder.com, right? Mm-hmm. And, yes. And they can find out all kind of stuff about you. But we're talking about this subject of anger tonight. And not that we ever, ever had to deal with this in person, but I find that it's, it's a topic that has people really buffaloed mm-hmm. and we don't know what to do about it. And even though we're, we're sharing this with people who are running community organizations, um, churches, synagogues, schools, lots of different kinds of social benefit organizations, it's also a problem in business. So I think the lessons are, are universal. Tell people about David Gruder and your background, especially as it applies to this topic. And you've written about your America's integrity expert, um, but talk talk a little bit about that, but talk a little bit about your training and anger and why this topic is of interest to you. Sure. Well, I agree. I, people can read my uh, my broader bio on their own time, but what's relevant related to anger is my own history with anger. I grew up in a family where there were two versions of anger that I saw. One was explosive raging, followed by silent treatment for usually weeks at a time, and that was my dad. And when he would start talking again after weeks or sometimes months at a time, he would start talking again to whichever of us he had gotten angry at as though nothing had ever happened and we would never talk about it. Mm -hmm. So I learned to walk on eggshells with my dad, never knowing when something I would say would uh, cause him to spin into a rage followed by a prolonged silent treatment. My mom, on the other hand, was a passive-aggressive kind of anger person. Uh, she, uh, she was a, uh, a cabinet door slammer, <laughs> did a lot of slamming of cabinet doors in the kitchen and things like that. 
So she leaked out her anger in, in more indirect ways uh, most of the time. What this all led to for me as a teenager was that I was literally, by the age of 16, saying out loud to people, I don't do anger. Because all I knew were those two versions of anger, and I was only clear about one thing. If, that, if those are what anger looked like, I wanted nothing to do with anger. So, you know, the, the truth about all emotions is that emotions are never buried dead. They're always buried alive. And so just because I claimed that I didn't do anger, that didn't mean that I didn't have anger inside me. And so my anger would leak out indirectly, and I, I was one of those imploders with anger. So I, my relationship with my anger was that I rarely took it out on other people. I would do merciless anger attacks, critic attacks on myself. And the way that my anger would leak out toward others is that I would pout. I would just go into pouts. And it wasn't literally until I was in my 40s, long after I got my doctorate in psychology, that I finally came across an approach to dealing with anger that has nothing to do with anger management. It actually has to do with anger completion. And that training that I got totally reframed my relationship with my own anger, brought me into healthy relationship with anger, and uh, launched me in a direction that is very precious to me to this day because that approach uh, is an approach to working with anger that was developed over a 20 plus year period at the University of Arizona in Tucson. And it's probably, it's called focused expressive psychotherapy formally. And that approach is probably the best researched approach to dealing with anger that has ever appeared in the psychological journals. But the problem is that all of the folks who developed that anger, the, uh, that approach, the researchers, the academicians, and the clinicians have either all died or are all long past retired. And I am the only psychologist still alive today that I know of who is fully trained to train the public and therapists in these approaches to completing anger and preventing anger. That's why this is important to me, because I want to see this work go on. I could feel your passion when you talk about this. What was the 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 sound bite, Russ? Did you get that where you you bury you don't you don't get rid of your anger, you bury you, you bury it with you? Feelings are never buried dead, they're always buried alive. Feelings are never buried dead, they're always buried alive. That was profound. Now, I had just the opposite um opposite um childhood experience as you. Did you ever watch the adventures of Ozzy and Harriet on TV? Yes. Everybody was smiling. Everybody was always polite. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That was how I grew up. And so when people got angry, when I got older, I didn't know what to do with it. And so <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't do anger either, but for a different reason. Um, yeah. So I imagine people approach it from both sides. Um, so David Gruder's books you can find on Amazon and um, they're very, very worthwhile. And you're, you're going to be reissuing one of those, but it's not topic tonight. But you are one of the most prolific uh, content creators that I know. And everything that I've ever seen is just outstanding. And I've, I've seen a little bit of your anger material. So I'm really interested in getting under the hood of this car. We, we title this, especially for 
nonprofits. And there's a person on some boards, more often than not, that controls people because of their anger. Um, so what is your, give us some color around that, that scenario and why we're talking about that topic tonight. Sure. Well, the thing that I want to lay as a foundation so that we can have that discussion is the distinction between what true, pure anger is and the other things that, that look like anger and are actually contaminated anger. So what pure, true anger is, is simply no and or ouch. No or ouch. And that's half of a boundary. All of a boundary, boundaries are any limit I need to honor in order to love or work with you without resentment and with integrity. Uh, a, uh, the other half of boundaries is, uh, is yes and yum. But the anger part is no and ouch. And when we are in a state of no or ouch and are paying attention to that and have the wherewithal to speak up about that, then we can have very polite and reasonable and useful forward-moving conversations with people about our boundaries. That's not a problem. That's For most people, that's just not problematic. What gets problematic is what happens when we don't know we have a no or an ouch, or we know we have a no or an ouch, and we think we can get away with ignoring it, with not addressing it. And when that happens, we start to get agitated. We start to escalate in our anger. And that's when people start getting more and more emotional and uh, less and less reasonable and voices get raised and, uh, and, and fists get pounded on tables and people start looking like they're behaving like petty tyrants, which ties then into what you were asking about with the, uh, the board member in, um, we see these a lot also, by the way, in, in um, uh, homeowners associations, uh, the, the tyrant uh, board member who tries to manipulate and control the board with what looks like anger, but it's actually a manipulation technique designed to get everyone else to shut up. And it's all, it's all about coercion. It's not really about anger, even though it looks like anger. That's very interesting. As uh, you and I have talked about the work of Murray Bowen and um, the uh, particular dynamic that he describes is called the focus child in traditional psychology. I think you've taught me that it's the identified patient. Yes. It's the person that draws negative attention to themselves. And that would occur to me that that would be the scenario that you just described, which really isn't anger. It's about how they were conditioned growing up. Yes. Yes. And so how do you deal with those folks? Here's, here's what those folks either don't know or occasionally they know, but they're not saying. Mostly they don't know is they don't know what the intention is underneath their anger and their manipulation. What are they trying to accomplish? And so one of the ways to diffuse board members who are not in pure anger, not in that simple no or ouch communication, but where they're escalating or beyond escalation, which we'll get into probably in a little while, is to simply ask them, what is it that you're wanting to accomplish? What is the intention that you have? And here's the secret, though. If that question is asked in an angry, defensive, closed way, 
It'll just lead to more escalation. Unless that question can be asked with sincere desire to learn what's underneath that person's words and behavior, you know, it won't go anywhere. When there's an authentic desire expressed to understand what the core intention is underneath that person's position taking and, and uh, ideological insistence and what I often refer to as rightness addiction, which is I'm right about how wrong you are, uh, then, uh, <laughs> then uh, you know, the, the sincerity in asking that person about what the core intention is underneath all of that blusteriness, uh-huh. it will separate the people who are capable of engaging in reasonable and useful discussion from the people who essentially have to be eliminated from the board. Wow. Wow. That just brings up all kinds of dynamics. Wow. So, Russ, you're, you're quietly listening. You want to ask David a question on some of this really profound stuff he's laid on us here? Well, you know, David, I think uh, if in my experience for me, and I'm speaking for myself, you know, a lot of bouts that I've had with anger over the years, when I really stripped it down and looked at it, it was fear. And fear comes in two flavors. Either I'm not going to get what I want or I'm going to lose something that I already have. And when you get a power driver in there, they, you know, a, a power driving personality is probably just a, a frightened child. It's really what you have. And so I can understand not asking them questions that would kind of confront them, but just to calmly try to figure out, okay, what's really underneath this? And people don't want to say out loud, I don't know, I'm afraid, or, well, those two things, I don't know and I'm afraid. And especially if it's a person with some type of position of assumed authority, well, they're just not going to want to do that. And that's, that's not the, the, the hallmark of a transformational leader, as you described. Right. I agree. And with your permission, let's look even deeper underneath fear. Because what fear is most of the time is, I won't get my needs met. Fear is most of the time about, I have a boundary and I don't know how to honor it in this situation without getting resentful or without giving up my integrity. That's generally what what fear, uh, what, let me say it more precisely, that's generally what anger that's masquerading as fear is saying. What authentic fear is, authentic fear is simply pay attention. That's what the cueing mechanism of pure fear is in contrast to pure anger. Pure fear is simply a message that says pay close attention here. Anger says there's a no or an ouch I have here that needs to be dealt with. Mm-hmm. Um, are you familiar with the writing of how kind of, I forget his first name, H-A-U-K, he's got um, um, Speaking the Truth in Love, which is about the personalities of passive, passive-aggressive, assertive, etc. But he's got another one called um, Antagonists in the Church. And the whole case that he makes in that book is about we don't treat people the same way as we do others because it feeds feeds what they're doing. It, would this be the case here? 
Yes. You know, the way that the way that I aspire to treat everyone is with love. And the form that my love takes is necessarily going to shift from person to person. So sometimes the way that I express love is, is through setting very clear boundaries, through not putting up with nonsense. Sometimes, and I don't do it through anger. I don't do it through manipulation. I do it through love. And love doesn't mean being a doormat. Boundaries, having a boundary doesn't, doesn't mean being a tyrant. Uh, so speaking the truth with love is really, uh, is really uh, spot on. And it raises the very important follow-up question, Hugh. What truth is the truth to express with love in that particular situation with that particular individual? Well, like people say, it's the honest truth. <laughs> I, I like well, when people say that. Like, I'm going to be totally honest with you, but that's a good point. What is our reality may not be somebody else's reality. And the whole, the whole rabbit hole that we go down when we talk about honest truth, what I've heard over and over again in various moments, thank God I don't hear this all the time, but in certain moments, I will hear people say, well, my honest truth is that I feel that you're being a blank. <laughs> oh, that's so and there's nothing at all true about any of that statement. And yet they're, they're, uh, they're claiming it's truth and they're telling, the, uh, telling me that, uh, that some statement around, I feel that, and they fill in the rest of the sentence with a judgment, not an emotion. Oh, yes. I, I, I've never seen that happen. Um, so, so model some language, some, some healthy eye language for what, what I write about is when we ignore this little conflict and it grows and we tend to avoid it, which makes it worse. Yes. So, um, in, in my personal guiding principles, my number one principle is, is approach conflict immediately, directly, and calmly and always remain calm in the face of adversity. My principle number two is refer to principle number one. So I think what you're saying, we're not getting agitated, we're not feeding it, we're not escalating it. So a lot of that um, lies on the leader is how we and when we approach it, right? Yes. Yes, there are times when it's better to uh, to approach someone offline one on one mm -hmm. if the sense of what they're escalating around is their own shame, because if shame is what's fueling what looks like anger, then shame is going to be a lot easier to deal with one on one because if it, if they're confronted in the group, the shame is going to get deeper and their aggressiveness or their shutdown is going to get more dramatic. Uh, the, the quality that I would add to your criteria, though, is curiosity. Mm, curiosity. I'm curious about that. Yes. That the moment we make a mistake around someone who looks like they're angry mm -hmm. is, is we either want to contain the anger, we want to make it go away, or we want to talk them out of it or we get hooked and we escalate with them. But mm -hmm. centered, calm, rational curiosity poses the question, regardless of how it's worded, uh, poses the, the, the essential question, what is 
underneath your agitation. So what we have to look for first is, uh, is escalation, is agitation. When someone's agitated, when they're escalating emotionally, they actually have a no or an ouch that they have not yet articulated and they may not even know what it is themselves yet until they're asked. Um, we're interviewing Dr. David Gruder, organizational developmental psychologist. And the last time um, David was on this interview was uh, February 27th. I looked it up here. And um, we talked about shadow. And I'm wondering if there's any connection between that. And I encourage people to go back to the podcast, Nonprofit Exchange, and look for that interview, Shadow, because there's a lot of really rich content there, too. Um, David, is there, is there, you talked about shame. Is there a connection with that shame and the shadow? Yes, absolutely. So what shadow is in a nutshell is everything about ourselves and our reactions that we repress, we hide, we deny, or we unconsciously indulge or justify when it's not really justifiable. Mm -hmm. So there are parts of us that we're not at peace with. We haven't developed right relationship with. And so we either need to try to push them into the darkness so that we don't see those parts of us or other people don't see those parts of us, or we get really blustery with those parts of us and we justify the unjustifiable. We, unju we uh, justify inappropriate behavior or attempt to justify it. So what, is, what that has to do with anger is that, uh, is that anger, what's usually called anger, which is every form of anger other than no or ouch. Mm -hmm. Every other form of what gets called anger is not justifiable. Now, let me say what I mean by that. Okay. It doesn't mean we don't have those other things. It's that once we start justifying that we're right to, to have lost our peace if we're escalated, or we're right to, re, to go into reactivity in a situation where our only reactions, because our brain is flooded with stress chemicals, are fight or flee or faint or freeze. And if we justify behaving in those react, reactive ways that our limbic system uses to cope, rather than our higher thinking process, that is not justifiable. There's no way to justify reactivity. And there's no way to justify rightness addiction, being right about how wrong someone else is and how they have to change first before I can be okay, which is a, uh, the, the fourth form of anger, which is looping, recycling anger. Those are the four forms of anger. The pure anger is no and ouch. And the three forms of anger that get called anger, but are really anger that has been complicated and, uh, and toxified, are escalation, flooding, and looping or recycling anger. So those, those forms of anger, escalation, recycle, uh, escalation, flooding, and looping anger, they are not justifiable. They simply are. And we can either get curious about those things and what, what, what's, uh, what's needed, because each of those forms of anger need a different intervention from the other three, or we can go down the rabbit hole either through avoidance or through escalating with them. 
Oh my goodness. That's a lot of rich stuff. Um, I'd like to point out if you go to nonprofitchat.org, you can register to get on the email list to get updates of what's happening, who's coming. Um, and then it'll take you to the archives where you'll find all of three years worth of these interviews with great thought leaders like Dr. David Greuter and on the section for tonight's session. Um, Dr. Gruder is going to offer a, a special on an anger program that he's got. So we'll have some more information on that before we stop this, this uh, interview, but uh, nonprofitchat.org is where you can find the, 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 that special offer. So David, you went through four F's, uh, fight, flight, freeze, freeze and faint, faint. Oh my goodness. That's, that's so typical. Now, um, so the person who's wielding the anger, uh, we've got another question that's posting live while we're doing this, but it's oh, good. damaging my leadership and my team. So speak to that a little bit because it sort of segues from what you're talking about of what the, the consequences of the, of the anger, not dealing with it, and maybe what if the anger is us? <laughs> what about that? Mm-hmm. Well, if anger is us, then again, the question always doubles back to what is the boundary that I either didn't know I have, what's the no or the ouch that I didn't know I have, or that I kind of knew I had, but I was hoping and praying I could get away with ignoring. Mm. That's the level of self-honesty that is required in order to, to harvest the fruit, harvest the gifts that are embedded in the anger. Now, when we're escalating, when we're in the escalation form of anger, we can do U-turns out of that. This is where anger management actually works. It works with one of the four forms of anger only because anger management requires our ability to think things through and to recognize when we're getting agitated. Uh, and so when we are in escalation, we can do U-turns relatively easily into asking ourselves or into asking the other person who's escalating what, what the, uh, essentially what the no or the ouch is, you know, asking what's, what's the core intent, what's underneath the, the escalation. But once a person is flooded, once the stress chemicals in their body reach a certain amount in their brain that those stress chemicals cortisol norepinephrine adrenaline their function in the brain is to turn off the thinking part of the brain and to activate into hyperdrive the reptile part of our brain the limbic system mm -hmm. and it's the limbic system that is the system that has only four uh, options in its reaction repertoire, fight, flight, freeze, or faint. So when somebody's flooded, there is no rational conversation that can be had while they're flooded. And it, in the average person, it takes between 15 and 20 minutes for those stress chemicals to recede from the brain so that their thinking part of their brain can come back online. And then we can have a discussion with them, but not while they're flooded. How can we tell if they're flooded? Very easily. Somebody, the way to tell when somebody's flooded is a, a calmly asked, rational question is reacted to with fight, defensiveness, uh, aggression, 
or avoidance. Uh, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to go there. Or uh, or playing possum, which is which is faint. It's it's uh, it's um, uh, you know rolling over and playing dead. It's not important. Or freeze, which is the deer in the headlights, where they're per paralyzed. So if we see any of those kinds of reactions, we know they're flooded. I guess um, you've had a family history of this. You've, uh, um, you've studied psychology. You were in uh, therapy or a therapist for a number of years. Now you, you've repositioned in this iteration of your career in being a, what do you call it, a thera, thera coach? What do you call it? Thera coach? <laughs> yeah, in some circles, I refer to it as thera. Excuse me, thera coaching. Yes, thera coaching. So it's not really coaching or therapy, but it's a very unique gift that you bring to the world. Now, my, I'm headed toward a question here. Um, you've got the experience to differentiate. You spoke earlier about the control person, and um, in, in Julia Cameron's book, The Artist's Way, she has a chapter on the crazy maker that actually creates situations that only they can solve and creates drama that they can, they can then fix, so how, which is really not the same as anger. I'm not sure as a novice I could immediately tell the difference. Can you give us, um, and maybe you just told us in that last piece, but the difference between somebody being manipulative or controlling and somebody that's genuinely angry mm -hmm. and out of control. Coercion, manipulation, is an expression of fear. Mm -hmm. Fear is an expression of the, the belief or the concern that I'm not going to get my needs met and that the only way I can get those needs met is to bring out the big guns, is to get manipulative, is to get controlling. If we believe the the surface level of those behaviors, then they get to control us with those behaviors. If we understand that when we're seeing crazy making behaviors, that this is that person's own imprisonment where they are trying to understand what they really need and figure out a way to get those needs met without having to be manipulative and coercive then we have a chance to vet out. We have a chance to, to enter into dialogue with them in order for them to teach us whether they are willing and able to get to their bottom line, to get to what they really are wanting. Mm -hmm. And where business people and nonprofits make mistakes over and over and over again, is that they allow people who have certain skills and talents to stay on their board, for example, even though those people are so impaired psychologically that they aren't even willing to learn what's underneath the manipulation, the coercion, the escalation, the anger, the rightness addiction, whatever form it might happen to take. Wow. Wow, that's a lot. And so we could say as leaders, oh, we're too busy to deal with. We're just going to ignore it and keep on going. And ignoring it 
and hoping it'll go away is not one of the choices I've heard you talk that's recommended. Ignoring it, yes, let's distinguish between deliberately deferring the conversation until you can have a one-on-one -on -one conversation, which is not a form of ignoring. It's a form of right matching the intervention. But the ignoring, in, in contrast to that, is the belief that if I just don't deal with it, they'll work it out themselves, it'll go away. And that is a, a form of denial because the law of wake-up calls is that when, when a wake-up call is issued and you know the, a conflict situation is a form of a wake-up call, the choice to press the snooze button on the, on the wake-up call alarm clock, the choice to avoid, is the choice to have that wake-up call reissued later on in a next higher level of intensity. Wow. So you could ignore low-level conflict today, but the choice to ignore low-level conflict today is the choice to have that conflict become moderate level and then ultimately higher level con uh, conflict tomorrow or the day after tomorrow. Your choice, but you can't violate the law of wake-up calls. <laughs> What's that word? You can't violate it? Violate the violate law it. of wake-up calls. Got it, got it, got it. Violate. You have such a gift with words and driving for clarity. This just, um, it makes me think about all the things I should have done in past circumstances. So I guess there's a part to say to us as leaders to forgive ourselves for what we didn't do in the past, but then to be um, very proactive in taking care of today and the future by taking care of today. And so because we didn't do it right in the past doesn't mean we can't learn how to do it correctly now. Is, am, I, am I tracking? You're absolutely tracking. So let me insert my definition of forgiveness Ooh. since you're bringing up forgiveness. And this is not instead of all the other really juicy definitions of forgiveness because there are some really good ones out there. In addition to those, my definition of forgiveness is behaving in the present as though I'm no longer harmed by the unacceptable that occurred in the past. Whoa. Whoa. In other words, what true forgiveness is from this vantage point is if I've made mistakes in the past, I can shame myself and I'll never get to a place of forgiveness. Or I can simply accept that I didn't know what I didn't know, or maybe I did know better, but I was not in a place to be able to act in that situation in alignment with what I knew better about, and behaving today as though that no, that was uh, that what happened in the past, what I did wrong in the past, is something I'm no longer harmed by, so that I can behave in alignment today with what I, the way I really want to respond. That to me is forgiveness. Demonstrating, it's a better word than behaving. Demonstrating in the present that I'm no longer harmed by the unacceptable in myself or someone else that occurred in the past. That reminds me of a really good quote by the famous organizational developmental psychologist, Dr. David Gruder, which is some people live life to the level of their dreams. Other people live life to the level of their wounds. And um, yes. Part of that's not forgiving yourself and you're still acting as you're wounded, right? Yes, and boards, since we're talking about 
boards and nonprofits and for-profits, they build their enterprises, their for-profit or nonprofit enterprise at the level of their self-development limitations despite their higher intentions. Wow. We got a lot of good sound bites for us. Now I'm going to get, let Russ have another word here. Man, we're a little past halfway in this interview. We like to keep these around an hour. We're not very strict about it, but um, we don't like people going to sleep. Um, <clears throat> Russ worked for 11 years with an Indian reservation. Did any of these dynamics, things that you saw play out? I mean, I guess we're wherever we have people, we're going to have some of these situations, but it, do you want to ask a question relevant to where we are? I think it, we're right in sequence to deal with uh, the third question that's been posted live online. But Russ, um, you want to interject a question or a comment with Dr. Gruder? Well, you know, I've, I've seen that not just in the in the Native community. I've seen some of this in every uh, in every workplace that I've been in. I've yeah. seen this at least once. And, you know, part of, of being able to take care of ourselves is to be able to set healthy boundaries. And when people aren't able to do that for themselves, uh, you know, and I found myself in a situation where somebody asked me to do something and I'd do it, find myself in the middle of it, get a little upset that it took more time and effort than I thought. And, uh, and then I bring that up. But people can hang on to those types of things and just keep going, and there's this seething anger. It's, it's like they put it in the crock pot, and it's just kind of simmering, and they're waiting, and they're just gonna wait till I get to that next board meeting, wait till I get to that next tribal mm -hmm. council meeting, wait till I get to that next staff meeting. I'm gonna let them have it. And you know, I don't know about you guys, but I'm at my worst when I'm right. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> And so, you know, what, it's a question of hanging on to this need to be right. Uh, that's something that people, that escalates, that really escalates conflicts. And going back and offering to talk to people or talk to them calmly later is a lot better. But, you know, that, that uh, last uh, quote that David gave us there reminded me of the thought that, you know, there's no hope for a better past. No matter, no matter what steps we take. And I was also thinking back to, uh, you know, when one of the danger phrases that I've seen in meetings starts off like this. Let me be perfectly honest with you. Because <laughs> you, you've got a rocket launcher or a bazooka or a sledgehammer coming out. And I'm from the school of thought that honesty without compassion is just plain brutality. And yes. it's not going to work. <laughs> right. So let me be perfectly honest when it's translated. If, we, if we're in, a, uh, in a, a subtitled foreign language movie, the subtitling to let me be perfectly honest is let me be, be, let me be imperfectly dishonest. Whoa, whoa. The other one that's closely behind that is, oh, by the way, you know, you got to pay attention after those words. We are, we're live. And let me tell you how I feel too, like we were talking about earlier. Oh my word. Uh, Russell David Dennis, Hugh Ballou, and David, Dr. David Gruder. We are all um, part of Center Vision Leadership Foundation's Wayfinder team. We have refined the consultant model from the answer man 
or answer man to the partner that helps you find the answers and build the skills to build the future by building your leadership. So we approach life very differently. So David, the third question that had gone live is how, ooh, this is a, this is a tactical one. How do I step in without creating further escalation of anger or the damage? Great, wonderful question. Let me offer a two-part answer. So the first part is that you, you first need to understand the four flavors of anger well enough to know and again, this is knowable. This is not complicated. It's just a little bit of training. But to know whether the person is escalating but not flooded or whether they're flooded or in recycling anger, meaning that we have to evaluate first whether the person is so agitated, so escalated, so locked in their own stuff, in their own soup, <clears throat> that they're not currently capable of engaging in a useful conversation. Mm. So let's assume that they are, that they're just simply escalated, but they're not, they've not gone over the line into their brain being flooded with those stress chemicals that turn off the thinking part of their brain. Then the way that we get to vet out, the, the question that we get to ask is something that is, uh, follows a statement. And the statement is, I can see that that you feel a lot of passion a lot of emotion about this and then the question that follows it and it can be posed in the wording of a question or in a statement the statement version is tell me more about what's what's underneath that passion what intention are you trying to draw our attention to what concern are you trying to draw our attention to that you're feeling like uh, we haven't been attending to? So we're inviting them into an exploration of what's underneath the agitation. Because if we start doing this arm wrestling match over agitation, that's going to go south real, real quickly. If we, if we ask underneath about the core intent what is the intention the person is trying to address? Then we can, we can really see whether they're in a place to be able to put that into words and the conversation will move forward if they are, or if they're not in a place to put that into words, in which case that's when we know that we need to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with them instead so that they aren't going to feel shamed as we try to draw out of them in front of a group of people what they don't know how to answer. Well, and by pressing the point, what, um, what I've learned is that an, uh, anxiety is contagious. And if we're anxious as a leader, even if we try to hide it, it's, I tried to do that when I taught middle school and, you know, they knew I was anxious. They could smell it and they went for the jugular, but that's um, <laughs> right. I learned a lot teaching middle school. Um, but we must be able to manage self and what occurs to me and which when you were talking there, I was listening, but also um, you're approaching it level headed, 
calm and thoughtful. When we get surprised by some of these behaviors, then it, to me, it shoots some anxiety into my spirit. So I need to have a little space to be able to adjust and learn to manage myself. Any, any self-management thoughts for the leader that gets surprised with one of these attacks? Yes. Yes. So uh, lowest level of intensity intervention with ourselves is to simply take a moment, take a breath, and move back into curiosity. Move back into that humble, teachable place called, I wonder what's really going on here. I don't think I know. And I'm not supposed to know because the answer to that is embedded somewhere inside of the person that is activating the agitation in me or that I'm getting activated with. So the, the lowest level of intensity in intervening is simply to take a breath and move back into authentic curiosity. The, the, the second level of intensity in speaking up is to say out loud, I notice that I'm starting to feel uncentered myself in this discussion. And I'm wondering if I'm alone. I'm wondering if I'm the only person that's kind of losing my footing here and whether it might be good for all of us as a group right now to take a recentering moment together so that we can move forward with this discussion from there in a better way. And then the third level of intensity is a timeout. And a timeout is simply an executive decision that says, I'm not in a place right now to know how to, how to steward this conversation, how to facilitate this conversation in a forward-moving way. I'm not willing to shove it under the rug and pretend like this, does, this shouldn't be dealt with and hope it, hope it disappears. I'm committed to getting this resolved, and I need some time to consider how to move forward and possibly to have some one-on-one -on -one discussions with some of you so that we can formulate a plan for moving forward together. Oh, that's really, really helpful. Now, I've struggled all my life with being a pleaser. And what I've learned by studying the work of Murray Bowen, um, his whole concept, one of his eight concepts of leadership is this differentiation of self where we have basic self and pseudo self and basic self self. We are regulated. We stay within our guiding principles. Now, when you're, we're talking about the language you use, the intervention levels and addressing this, it would require for me to let go of, I want them to like me. So I'm just not going to, I'm not going to act on it because I'm afraid they won't like me. And I encounter this a lot, no matter where people are leading, even power players, players and, and bigger organizations. So give us some language or some ideas or some mechanisms that we can counteract this. I don't want to upset them, so I'm not going to deal with it. This pleaser thing. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Right. So the... The I don't want to upset people, I want people to like me storyline revolves around a core assumption that who I am authentically isn't lovable, isn't enough. Mm. 
So I have to be better than good in order to be marginally acceptable. That's the, that's the unspoken storyline underneath the pleaser script. And so the, the intervention with the pleaser script starts with a, an honest appraisal of what we have experienced when other people have gotten authentically honest rather than saying they're being honest and then, and then emotionally raping us, which is not honesty. Yeah. Um, the, the, when, when we have been around people, think about this, so just among the three of us, when, when the three of us have been around someone else who has been vulnerably, authentically self-disclosing, when they have, when they have shared their, their, um, their faults or their problems or their shortcomings or their limitations in not a, not a self-shaming way, not an offensive way, just a here's what I'm carrying kind of way. Do we trust them less as a result of that disclosure or do we trust them more? What's the answer? More. Always. Yeah, I would. I mean, they're being genuine. Uh, yes, if they're being genuine. And, and if they're not, I mean, if they're, and you can, it's clear to see the body language gives it away. Oh, yes, Russ. You know, you know uh, it's like everything is fine. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Filed and you know what fine stands for, right? Fouled up, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, my word. Yeah. And I use the G level, the, the PG rated word. Yeah, that's exactly right. That was the PG version. <laughs> so, so the point being that the, the, I've, got to, uh, I've got to maintain my image script. I've got to be uh, conciliatory, and I've got to be a nice guy, and I've, I've got to be... Um, you know, um, polite, politically correct, which drives me crazy too, because political correctness is a cover-up for not knowing how to be tenderly authentic. And I would take tender authenticity every day of the week over PC, right? So uh, when, when we really reflect, if we're carrying this kind of script, when we really reflect on what engenders trust in us, when other people do those things, which is about their authentic vulnerabilities, that is what begins to open the door to us, our willingness to reconsider that our pleaser script isn't anywhere near as noble as we've been telling ourselves it is. Ah, oh, man. Man, this is profound stuff. Just in case you felt like you're swimming in a sea of... Uh, drinking out of a fire hose and, and uh, having too much going on. David Grutter has a stellar, um, stellar program, which you'll find, we'll find, post a link on nonprofitchat.org about an hour after this interview is over. And on the podcast, it'll be on the podcast notes. So David, we're headed to the, um, the last question. And um, if we think there's a, which I think there's evidence there's, an anger epidemic 
Um, why do we need more than anger management and stress management with this anger epidemic going on? Oh, Hugh, that's such a great question. Anger management, as I said earlier, works with only one out of the four forms of anger. So it's woefully incomplete. It's not that it doesn't work. If someone's escalating, but not flooded, anger management techniques can work very, very well. So I wouldn't throw out the baby with the bathwater. But managing anger is no substitute for anger prevention. Managing anger is no substitute for knowing when to take a time out to recenter myself when I'm flooded with anger because there is no me, there is no thinking self to manage my anger when I'm flooded. And with recycling anger, there is no amount of anger management that ever deals with recycling anger, the only remedy to recycling anger is anger completion, not anger management. The same thing goes with stress. If we live our lives trying to perfect our capacity to manage stress, what's underneath our script, what's in shadow in our script is the belief that we are always gonna have to be in stress and the best we can hope for is to manage it. So yes, there are times when we start to get escalated with stress and stress management techniques in those circumstances are wonderful and work. But what works even better is being stress inoculated in the first place. What works even better is resolving the baggage that we have that knee jerks us into a stress reaction that then needs to be managed so that we don't have that to manage because we've resolved what knee jerks us into a stress reaction. So that's why there is so much more to do than stress management or anger management. And those are the, in, in, in my experience, those are the least interesting of the skills related to stress and anger management skills. And you're talking about that. I'm, I'm remembering that I've been in situations observing when a leader had a knee-jerk reaction because they took the blame for causing the anger reaction in the other person when that was not exactly true. So part of it is we're surprised and we think we're at fault for causing the problem. Is that, is that common? Yes. When I take the blame for someone else's anger, I'm actually trying to manipulate them into not being angry. Which, if I heard you correctly, we don't want to stop it. We want to go to anger completion and get to the root of what's really going on. That's exactly right. So self-responsibility skills are key to this. If I am over-responsible, if, if I'm not just responsible for myself, but I take responsibility for other people's reactivity, then I am teaching them through my over-responsibility, I'm teaching them to under-function. Mm. My goodness, we're... we're Oh, we're enabling bad behavior in a lot of different ways tonight. Um, I'm going to ask you to think of a, a parting tip or a parting thought for people on this wonderful, rich content tonight. Um, as we sign off, I, I'd like to point out that uh, uh, David Gruder has articles uh, over the years in Nonprofit Professional Performance 360 magazine, which you can find at nonprofitperformance.org. You can sign in for free and read past issues. We have a flip 
flip reader on the site and you can read them. You could even get it mailed to whatever address you want and have a print copy. Um, there are lots of really good content. We have uh, also some of your content you've shared in the blog post on the centervisionleadership.org online community. And then on this, this nonprofitchat.org, we're going to post the link for not only your website, David, but for the, the anger program that you're going to share with people. And um, I've seen uh, lots of content from you, and there, there's nothing average about any of your content. It's always stellar. Thank you. I hate even share mine when you're in the room because yours is so so definitive. So as we're we're wrapping our material, up. Hugh, I got to interrupt you there. Our <laughs> material is synergistic. Our material really dovetails so well and makes the the whole package far more powerful than any of the individual pieces by themselves. Well, bless you. I, that, that that we've you've worked with me long enough to to speak from experience. So uh, thank you. Um, my, um, as we're, we're wrapping up here tonight, what, what thoughts would you like to leave with people? <laughs> well, let me start with one of my favorite phrases about anger. So for those of our listeners who remember Mr. Rogers, mm -hmm. anger is your friend. As long as we understand that anger comes in four distinctly different flavors, boundaries, that's the pure anger, no and ouch, escalation, flooding, and recycling anger. And as long as we know how to recognize the difference between those four flavors and we know how to respond differentially, because each of those four flavors needs a different type of response, when we have that clarity, when we have those skills, Anger will never again frighten us, whether it arises in ourselves or in other people. It will actually be our friend and will open up amazing doors to great discoveries that can lead to enhanced collaboration. Dr. David Gruder, it's been awesome learning this stuff um, with you. So thank you for being our guest on the nonprofit chat and being on the podcast, the nonprofit exchange. Thank you so much, David. My pleasure. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.